And Lord, we do lift up and magnify your name. And your name should be lifted up on high. No one compares. There's no other God before you, beside you, or after you. No other name under heaven by which men must be saved. And so we do lift up your name this morning. We pray, Lord, that as we go to your word now, that you'd be our teacher. Lord, minister to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Welcome to Calvary Chapel. It is great to have you here. If it is your first time here, I hope you feel welcome and loved because we're all one big family here. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 6. Continue our verse-by-verse study through the New Testament. By way of quick update about my dad, uh, as of Tuesday, they were telling us they were concerned that he might never get better, and by Wednesday, they were grossly wrong. (laughs) Amen. So, my dad wanted to make sure to tell all of you how much he appreciates your prayer. I have been blown away by the way you guys have reached out to my family. I just, I can't tell you enough how much I appreciate it. Keep praying. He is having a little problem with, a, with, with his blood right now. If you don't know, he had open heart surgery and there were some difficulties. I, we don't know for sure, but I believe it was a problem with anesthesia and some of the drugs. But uh, he's, you know, for a long time he could barely speak. Now he's beginning to talk. Matter of fact, he called me at the church office at 3.30 in the morning to talk to me. So he must be getting better. So keep praying for him because, his, again, he's having a situation with his blood and they're doing some like uh, low-end chemotherapy to get his blood uh, back in order. But uh, God is faithful. And the good news is, all the way through it, my dad's had a total peace that if God was ready to take him home, he was ready to go. But I wasn't ready for him yet in my, in my weak flesh, I must admit. So I just assume he stay around a while longer. All right, well, let's pick up in Hebrews chapter 6. Continue our verse-by-verse study where we left off a couple of weeks ago. Briefly, again, to bring you up to date if you've not been here, the the whole focus of the book of Hebrews is Jesus is better. And this letter was written to Jewish people who are being, in the first century church, who are being tempted to go back to Judaism, to go back to the old religion, the religion of works, and to leave the grace of God. And there's a great exhortation written by the writer, who I believe was the Apostle Paul, to the first century Jews telling them that turning away from Jesus is foolish. Because Jesus is the answer. And in chapter 1 we saw Jesus is better than the prophets. Then we saw that Jesus is better than the angels. Then we saw that Jesus is better than Moses and the law. And in each case, Moses was good, the prophets were good, the angels were good, but they all were pointing to Jesus, and Jesus is better. We then saw the exhortation to enter into his rest. Guys, if you're living a works-based salvation, you will never rest. And he's telling them, if you go back to that Judaism, if you go back to that old way of the sacrificial system, you'll never be good enough because those sacrifices were all pointing to Jesus. He's the fulfillment. And if you go back and sacrifice, it's as if you're crucifying him again, as we saw a couple of weeks ago. Guys, our faith is in Christ alone. And it's not the rules, and it's not the rituals, and it's not religion that saves us. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ. And the exhortation of this entire book is telling those who would want to go back to something other than Jesus Christ, get their eyes back on Jesus. Now, 
That's an exhortation. Maybe no, nobody here being contemplating going back to Judaism because very few of us are probably Jews to begin with. But we can contemplate going back to some old works-based salvation. Some way where we think we are the ones earning God's favor. Guys, you can't earn His favor. You can't be good enough. You can't be holy enough. You can't be faithful enough. You can't read your Bible enough. You can't pray enough. All those are good things. But guys, your salvation comes through grace alone. And so it's important that we take this book and apply it to our own lives. Now over the last few chapters, we've been looking at just the transformation and the exhortation now that he's told them Jesus is better. He's the great high priest. He's better than the high priest. You know, no doubt the, the ridicule was coming as these new Christians had left the temple that was still standing only for a few more years and were now worshiping God. And they no doubt were mocking them that they didn't have a high priest. You don't have a high priest. You don't have a temple. You don't have a What do you have? You meet in houses. You've got nothing. And he said, Jesus is our great high priest. Because he is the only true high priest. So now as we come to the chapter that we're going to look at this morning. We saw last time that there's an exhortation now to go beyond the basics. To grow up in our faith. Now that we know all this about Jesus, what do we do about it? Okay, anyway, Jesus is better. I agree with you. Now what? Well, now he's calling us in, the, in chapter 6 to go beyond the basics. That salvation is not the finish line, but the starting point. To move past the milk of the word into the meat of the word. He then encouraged them to fully grasp the consequences and the foolishness of rejecting Jesus Christ. And as we talked about last time, if you are saved, you will not fall away, but you may fall. If you're truly saved, you will not lose your salvation. You will not fall away. People have read verses 4 through 6 and walked away from God because they felt like they committed the unpardonable sin. Verses 4 through 6 have nothing to do with you committing some sin that's so heinous God won't forgive you. Because the Bible says where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. And so God is a gracious God and a loving God and a merciful God who desires to restore sinful mankind unto himself. And if it were true that we could sin enough to be disqualified from being saved, we'd all be in trouble. Amen? But verse 4 through 6 is really talking to the Jews about leaving the following of Jesus Christ and going instead to the sacrificial system, rejecting the cross of Calvary to follow another path. That will bring eternal separation from God. One way God said to get to heaven, and Jesus is the only way. Amen? And so, we continue on in the chapter, and we saw, in, again, the marks of spiritual immaturity previously, then a call to spiritual maturity, and this morning, if you're a note-taker, we're going to now look at marks of spiritual maturity, where immaturity is a dullness toward the Word, and starting to walk away from the things of God. Well, now we'll look at the marks of spiritual maturity, and there's three of them, they should be up on the screen, and here's what they are. Number one, we're going to see a life that bears fruit. Behavior that reflects our belief. Guys, it's one thing to believe and it's another thing to act like it. Amen? It's one thing to say we know God and it's another thing to live like it. You know, there are, well, Christianity is not a belief in the head. It's a relationship in the heart. Amen? It's having intimate fellowship with God. So number two, not only a life that bears fruit, 
but perseverance in the midst of persecution and temptation. As you grow in spiritual maturity, your faith will not waver because your dad's in the hospital. Amen? Or because you lost your job. Or because your kids are in rebellion. You know what? It will, if anything, it will deepen your faith and cause you to press deeper into the kingdom of God. Because where else are you going to turn in the times of difficulty? But to the Lord. Amen? And this is a mark of spiritual maturity we'll see in this morning's chapter. And then lastly, a mark of spiritual maturity is laying hold of the hope and promises that we have in Jesus. Really laying a hold of the hope and the promises that we have in Jesus Christ. So let's begin looking at this call to spiritual maturity, the marks of a spiritually mature believer. And we're going to begin in verse 7 of Hebrews chapter 6, picking up where we left off last time. So just remember last time, he told them, go beyond the basics. And then he was encouraging them to fully grasp the consequences of rejecting Jesus Christ. And then he says this in verse 7, as we look at this mark of spiritual maturity, living a life that bears fruit. Look at verse 7. For the earth, which drinks in the rain that often comes upon it, and bears herbs useful for those by whom it is cultivated, receives blessings from God. Now, what is he talking about here? He's talking about the difference between what is born out in someone's life. In verses 7 and 8, we're going to see the contrast between somebody whose life bears fruit and somebody whose life bears weeds. And so we're going to see that they both have the same exposure to the rain and the sunlight. And yet, the response is completely different. And this is a picture of people in the world today. We all have exposure to the Word of God to varying levels. Amen? We have exposure to the conviction and drawing of the Holy Spirit. We have an opportunity to know God in a personal way. So God's Word, the Bible tells us that we are washed by the water of the Word of God. So the rain here is a type or a picture of the Word of God being poured out upon them and the Holy Spirit being poured out upon them. And it says in that verse that there are those who when it comes upon them, they will bear herbs useful for those whom it is cultivated, and they will receive blessings from God. When our lives bear fruit, God blesses us. And that's what this verse says. Now I'm not talking about stuff. I'm talking about intimate fellowship with God. When God's word touches the human heart, the fruit, the, the fruit reveals the impact on the human heart. Guys, whether you accept the gospel or not has no impact on the gospel and no reflection on the gospel. It doesn't change the gospel if you receive it or don't receive it. The gospel is always good. The rain that is pouring down from heaven is perfect. Now, the fruit that comes about is not a reflection on the gospel. It's a reflection on your heart. If your heart is right, your life will be fruitful and you'll be walking with God. If your heart is hard, as we'll see in the next verse, you will not bear fruit. But sadly, weeds will come up instead. Fruit comes when, when the word of God hits a heart that is ready to receive it. In the parable of the sower, there's four kinds of ground. You've got the hard ground where it says the seeds land on it and the birds come and pluck it away. It doesn't even take any root. 
Then you've got the shallow ground and it starts to, you know, come up just a little bit, but then the sun hits it and it just withers and dies. Then there's some buried a little bit deeper. And when the thorns come up, it's choked off and it never bears any fruit. But finally, there's the seed planted in good soil and it bears much fruit. Some 30, some 60, some 100 fold in comparison in other parts of the, of the Bible. Here's the point. Some people hear the word and just don't want to hear it. Have you ever met anybody like that? You share the word of God with them, they don't want to hear it. Just leave me alone, man. Just stop it. I don't want to hear it. Shut up. I've, had that, I've been told that many times. And you know what? That's hard ground. That's not a reflection on the gospel. It's a reflection on the person. Amen? Then there are those who receive it with joy because they think it's going to fix some problem in their life when they're really coming from a fleshly perspective. But when things don't go the way they all tried, I tried, you know, est, I tried, you know, having good karma, I moved my furniture around in the proper, proper feng shui, you know, all those things, none of them work, so I'll just try Jesus for a week and see how that works out. And then it doesn't go the way they want, and that seed that was planted in the soil where there's greeted with some excitement, withers and dies. Then it says, the seed that is choked off among the thorns. Now these are those who may even look like they're walking with God for a while. They're pretty excited. They might even be sharing their faith with others, bringing other people to church. But as soon as the trials of life get too tough, they blame it on God and they walk away. They get more caught up in the things of the world than the things of God. But you know what, guys? If you've truly been born again, your life will bear fruit. By your fruit they shall know you, the word of God says. The mark of the one who is growing spiritually is a life that bears more and more and more and more fruit. In Galatians 5.22 it says the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. A life that is filled with the Holy Spirit will be different than those who do not know God. Amen? And that's the way the body of Christ should be. We should be different. We should be fulfilling the Great Commission. We should be using our spiritual gifts. And the mark of a spiritual mature believer is a life that bears fruit. Now I want to say this. Sometimes people take fruit and make it works. Now understand something, it's not doing good works so that you will earn God's favor, but because you are walking with God, your life will bear fruit. So it's a result of, a, of faith in Christ. It doesn't bring about faith in Christ by doing good works. Salvation produces a life that produces fruit. Now note that not everybody bears fruit, because look what it says in verse 8. But if it bears thorns and briars, it is rejected and near to being cursed, whose end is to be burned. Now, these are pretty harsh words, aren't they? He is shooting straight with these Jews who are considering, these Jewish Christians, they're not, there's neither slave nor free, barbarian nor Scythian, Jew nor Greek anymore. There's believers and unbelievers. Amen? And so he's saying to them, you're Christians now, you're contemplating going back. Let me explain to you, if your life doesn't bear fruit, what your future holds. And what he says, if it bears thorns and briars, it is rejected. If you're a student of the Old Testament, thorns came into existence in Genesis chapter 3. Why? Because Adam and Eve sinned. There were no thorns before Adam and Eve sinned. None. 
That means you could pick up a rose anywhere and grab it by the stem and never have to worry about getting poked. There were no thorns. There were no thistles. There were no weeds. Nobody died. Nothing died. Everything was perfect. And then sin brought about death. And sin brought about briars and thorns and weeds. That's why our Savior wore a crown of what? Thorns, because the sin of mankind was being placed upon him. Thorns came to, into existence in the Garden of Eden, and at the cross of Calvary, we see that picture of the sin of all mankind being placed upon him. Guys, when we have thorny lives, it's a reflection of a rebellious walk. It was rebellion that brought thorns and thistles, it's rebellion that does the same when our life is filled with weeds, when our life has no fruit, when there's no joy, when there's no supernatural love. And what he's saying here, he's exhorting them that if your life doesn't bear fruit, don't just act like it's no big deal. Because there are consequences to a fruitless life. Because a fruitless life is a reflection on a hard or a shallow or a thorny heart. And that's a heart that has not truly received Christ, that has not been born again, that is not going to heaven. Pastor Dave, that's heavy. But look what it says. How do you know that? It says, is near to being cursed, whose end is to be what? Burned. Now, what do you think that burning is? That's hell. In type and in picture, it's hell. What do they do with weeds? They don't pick them up and arrange them. Well, people in Santa Cruz might. But they don't pick them up... <laughs> And arrange them, you know, put them all over their house. You know, you take the weeds out and set them on fire and take the, you know, the fruit and keep the fruit. And here's the point. That's exactly what happens. And that's the separation between those who know God and those who do not. Same exposure, same rain, same seed, same opportunity to bear fruit and two different reactions. It's not the gospel's fault. It's the heart of the person receiving it. Amen? And that's the exhortation he's bringing to them. You know, if you go back, you turn your back on Jesus, what you've done is you've hardened your heart and you're going to have a life that is fruitless and in the end, the result will be eternal separation from God. Good soil, fruit. Hard ground, thorns and thistles. I don't think the analogy could be any clearer. If you guys continue saying on the path you're headed, the end result will be to be burned. So to those who respond to the word of God with a hard heart today, the end result is hellfire. The Bible again says, by your fruit they will know you. Our belief should be reflect, reflected in our behavior. If we really love Jesus, we will desire to obey him. Amen? Obedience won't be a take it or leave it. Now, but Pastor Dave, you just said it's not works. Now you're telling, no. Understand that now that we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we desire to walk in obedience out of love for Him, not to try to achieve His favor. Do you understand the difference? We're not trying to earn salvation. We're not trying to get enough goody points on one side to outweigh all the sin in our life. That would never work. You'd never get enough. Amen? What it is instead is a reflection of a life that's already been transformed. Guys, apple trees produce apples. And Christians should produce godly fruit. Amen? 
It should be a natural outpouring of who we are because we're new creations in Christ. We're, we're alive in Him. We're filled with His Spirit. How can we not have it flowing out of us on the world around us? This past Monday, most of you, some of you know I went back to work. And it's not a reflection on the church is doing great. We're growing God's blessings, doing great things. But by myself, Pastor Joe, going back to work, it's going to free the church up to do some things that we feel like the Lord's leading us to do, including potentially moving into a building. But I will say this. I know it's the Lord because He's given me an excitement about going back to work, something I never thought I would do. And I was in training class on Monday, and you know what? I feel like God has given me an even greater boldness than I've ever had at work before. And I'm just so excited. They got to introduce me, and I just said, they got, went around the room, they got to me, and I said, look, I, I was here for 18 years, I left, and the reason I'm back is because God's doing a work in the church that I pastor, but I also believe that I'm in the room with the 12 of you by divine appointment, God foreordained it before the foundation of the world, and we're going to spend eight weeks together, and I pray that many of you will come to know Jesus Christ or get right with Him. What are they going to do, take away your birthday? What are they going to do? Guys, man, what, wouldn't John the Baptist do that? Wouldn't the Apostle Paul do that? Why are we so ashamed? We're not going to get to heaven and go, well, I wish I had been less bold. I should have dialed it down at work. Everybody thought I was a Christian. I shouldn't have done that. Guys, Lord, light a fire in us, amen? And so I'm excited because I just, you know, you know, God's good. We're already praying together at meals and stuff. It's good stuff. God's faithful. So, marks of a spirit-filled life, a life that bears fruit, amen? Now, by the way, you should not be the fruit inspector. That's not your job. You're not bearing fruit, you're not bearing fruit. Weeds, weeds, don't do that, amen? Don't do that. God is the fruit inspector, amen? Let Him inspect the fruit. You just live a life that's fruitful and set apart unto the Lord. Number two, marks of spiritual maturity. Perseverance in the midst of persecution and temptation. Remember, in context, there was persecution coming. In context, there was a temptation to go back to the old lifestyle, the one they had been familiar with their entire life. So much easier to go back. But a sign of spiritual maturity is perseverance in the midst of it. Look what it says in verse 9. But beloved, now I love this because the writer, I be, again, I believe the Apostle Paul, he gives them a heavy duty word and then he follows it up with some encouragement. And you know, we need that, don't we? He, he brings it, guys, bear fruit. If you're, if you're saved, you'll bear fruit. If you don't, you're going to bear weeds and you're going to be burned. But then he follows it up with encouragement, says, but beloved, the only time this word is in the entire letter. And the word there, beloved, means dear friends. It's, a, it's a, a form of the word agape. It's that supernatural love. And so here he is lovingly encouraging them. Now, it says, but beloved. And again, not telling people. When you love somebody, you got to love them enough not to just tell them what they want to hear, but tell them what they need to hear. Amen? You don't love your kids if you don't discipline them. You are a poor parent. Amen? Amen. The Bible says if you don't, if you don't dis discipline, man, if who the Lord loves, He disciplines. So if we love our kids, we need to discipline them. Do it in love, never in anger, but they need discipline. That's why God gave them parents. Amen? Amen, youth group? All right. So, you need to love them enough to tell them the truth. And here's what He says, and this is great. 
But beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. The word confident there is we are sure. While the writer issues a harsh warning for those whose lives did not bear fruit, here he makes it clear that he is sure that those he is writing to would not be numbered among the fruitless. He says, guys, while those who don't bear fruit will be burned, I know that you will never be those people because you've given your life to Jesus Christ. And while you're being tempted to walk away and you may fall away and you may fall for a moment, you won't fall away. I'm confident that you will stay steadfast in your relationship with the Lord, that you will not be numbered among the fruitless. Why is he so confident? Look at the rest of the verse. He says, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation. The reason he's confident is because they've been saved. He's confident that because he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Amen? We can be confident in someone who is truly saved, living a life that will bear fruit, and not having to worry about them walking away. Because we are new creations, we are filled with the Spirit, we will endure, we will bear fruit, we will, not bear, we will not fall away. And this is the warning that this early church needed to hear. So too today, the warning of pursuing salvation through good works, turning away from Jesus, a fruitless walk in life will result in being cursed by God. But it needs to be heard in the church today. Why does it need to be heard? Because the word of God is not being preached. And it needs to be told and shouted from the mountaintop that it's not religion. It's not joining a church. It's not baptism. It's, and again, all things that we should do. But none of them will save you. We got, we've getting too much into the religious country clubs today. We're getting too far away from the word of God and we need to get back to the simple, simple truth of salvation through Christ alone. Guys, if you're truly saved, you need not fear falling away. But the church needs to hear it because much of the church is not truly saved. Guys, if you're saved, you'll trust in God's grace, not your good works. If you're saved, you'll run to Jesus, not away from him. If you're saved, your life will bear fruit. Now, you might be saying, I don't know if there's very much fruit in my life. I don't, I don't, you know, I struggle with that. Pastor Dave, I'm going to be the first one up there to talk to you as soon as the message is over because I don't think there's much fruit in my life. Let me tell you, here's the point. If you don't feel like there's enough fruit in your life, don't pursue fruit, pursue Jesus. Amen. You pursue Jesus, the fruit will come. Amen? Well, I'm trying to have more fruit. I'm trying. I'm really trying. Don't, don't try to have more fruit. Get grafted into the vine. Amen? He is the vine. We are the branches. John 15. You get grafted into him and you can't help but bear fruit. And you won't have to try to do it. It'll be a natural outpouring of that intimate fellowship that you have with Almighty God. Pursue him and fruit will follow. Verse 10. For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love which you have shown toward his name and that you minister to the saints and do minister. For God is not unjust. Could there be a, a more understated fact anywhere in Scripture? For God is not unjust. God is not unjust. Amen? Amen? He is perfect. He is just. He is faithful. He is holy. He's a wonderful God. I was so blessed praying with my mom during the couple of hours when 
they had told us that my dad would probably not get better. And just to hear her pray, Lord, I love you. I trust you. You're faithful no matter what you decide to do with my husband. That's trusting that God is just. Amen? Trusting that God knows better. Trusting that God is indeed faithful. It is God's character that gives rise to such confidence that we can trust Him. Guys, God is so, knows so much more than we do. When we don't understand, we get, a, you know, we get a headache, but we need to learn to say, Lord, even when I don't understand, give me that peace that surpasses all understanding. Amen? I don't get it, I trust you. You're God, you're faithful. I don't understand why we're going through all this right now, but that's okay. Because God, you're going to use this to conform me more to your image. To deepen my faith. To cause me to look up. And the same is true for all of us as we go through the trials of life. Without a test, there is indeed no testimony. He says, to forget your work and labor of love. Now he's not saying God won't forget all the good works you did. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about he will not forget the fact that there is fruit of a changed life in you. That you are different. That you are a new creation in Him. That He has touched your life. God sees, He knows, and He remembers everything we have ever done out of love for Him. He knows when you've done it out of pride. He knows when you've done it to have people notice you. And He knows when you've done it out of humility and out of love for Him. And that's the stuff that we'll be rewarded for in heaven one day. Now, we do not pursue the reward, we pursue the Savior. Amen? Amen. And the rewards will come. We just pursue Jesus and let Him take care of what He wants to give us. Guys, heaven's good enough. Amen? But Lord, whatever else you have for me, I don't deserve it, but I'll be thankful for it. And it says there, in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. The word minister there means to be a servant. Not only what they've done, ministering to the saints, but how they did it with the heart of a servant. Guys, the Bible says if you want to be great in God's kingdom, learn to be the, what? Servant of all. In the world, success, success is judged by how many people serve you. In the kingdom of God, it's judged by how many people you serve. It's totally upside down, isn't it? And God wants us to be servants, to reach out to the people around us, to love them supernaturally, to minister to them, to let them see Jesus in us, to go the extra mile. To Don't let the world standard be the standard for how you treat people. Well, nobody else would pull over and help that guy. You pull over any. If God leads you by the Holy Spirit, you do it. Amen? And I believe that's, it's sometimes that simple thing that God will use to reach somebody for his kingdom. You know, guys, it's not just doing the great things. Many did great things, right? Jesus said, the Bible says that some will come and say, I cast out demons in your name. I prophesied in your name. And God will say, depart from me, for I don't know you. Because you know what? God, man looks on the outward appearance, and God looks on the heart. And it's not just what we do, it's the heart with which we do it. Amen? And so someone who's been born again, it's going to be a natural outflowing of their heart in how we do it, And who we do it for, to bring God and God alone the glory. Verse 11. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. Now, and we desire. I earnestly desire is what he's saying. 
This is a language of fatherly affection. This is not a command, but it's a dad putting his arm around his children and loving them. And what does he say? And we earnestly desire, I earnestly desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. Show the same diligence, the constant exercise of faith and love. Guys, salvation, as I said before, is not the finish line, it's the starting point. Once we're saved, God is a calling upon our life. He wants to use us for His glory. And it says, to the full assurance of hope. Assurance is possessed by those who produce the fruit of God's Spirit. And notice that the primary thing back in verse 10 was love, and now He speaks of hope, and in verse 12 He's going to speak of faith. These are the things that should be evident in the life of a Christian. Faith, hope, and love. Faith in the Savior. The assurance, that hope, not a hope so, but the hope and the promise of heaven to come and the love that is manifested from a life filled with faith with the promise of heaven to come. Amen? That should be the picture of believers today. To the full assurance of hope. Now, Guys, the Bible says if we do good works and have no love, it's like clanging cymbals. We're just making noise. So guys, we need to not just do the good works. We need to do them in love. Again, not good works to earn salvation, but good works that are fruits of salvation. God doesn't want you going through life wondering whether or not you've been saved. Did you know that? God wants you to know for sure. If you're sitting out there this morning wondering if you're saved You need to put your faith in Jesus Christ. Because it's not a hope so, it's a no so. And he's saying there, there's that assurance of hope. I have the assurance, the promise. Again, I know for sure that I'm going to heaven. And so can you. Not because of who I am, but because of who he is. If you're constantly questioning, it's a lack of faith in the depths of God's grace. You think you're just too bad for God to save you. You know what? That's arrogant. Amen? Amen. It's faithless. You're saying that you're, oh, you're the one that goes beyond God's grace. Is that what you're trying to say? Guys, you need to get to the point where you understand the depths of God's grace, and it goes far beyond anything we will ever understand. Amen? When we understand His grace, we will grasp the fact that all can be forgiven. It says there, until the end, until we die or until Christ comes back. So this is the answer to how long we should be diligently pursuing God. How long? Until we die. Or until He comes back. Amen? God is not through with us until we stop breathing. Amen? I'll tell you what, and I know I'm I'm bragging on my dad, but forgive me. My dad's laying in the bed. He can barely talk. He's in excruciating pain, and he's witnessing to the nurse. And I'm like, that's my dad. Finishing strong. Quoting verses. They, the, the nurse, he was in a lot of pain. He could barely speak. She told him he had to walk and to get up on the side of the bed. He said, if I have to stand up, then you have to sing Onward Christian Soldiers. I'm like... In pain, slurring his word, boldly sharing his faith, and I felt ashamed. Because I'm not in pain, and I'm not slurring my words. How much more should I be sharing my faith? Amen? Amen. Lord, help us to take the tools and the gifts you've given us and use them for your glory. Then it says this, 
verse 12, that you do not become sluggish. The word there, sluggish, means slothful, inactive, lazy, dull, and figuratively, it means stupid. Don't be stupid. Don't be lazy. Don't be inactive. Don't be dull. Don't be slothful. Slothfulness, inactivity, and laziness will rob you of your hope and your faith. Guys, we need to passionately pursue intimate fellowship with God through prayer and time in His Word. You want your faith to grow? Spend time with God. Amen? I'm really struggling in my faith. How much time do you spend in the Word? I don't really read my Bible. How's your prayer life? I don't really have time to pray right now. I'm really busy. Okay. Guess what? Priorities need to change. Amen? You need to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Delight yourself in the Lord and He'll give you the desires of your heart. Amen? We want the desires of our heart and the things added unto us without making God the priority. God says, make me the priority. Make me the passion. Make me the joy. Make me the thing, the one you're thinking of the moment you wake up and you're thinking of when you're nodding off to sleep at night. Intimate, passionate fellowship with Him. Does He deserve any less than that? And you know what? Should we desire any less from our perspective? Your faith will grow. You'll have the assurance of hope. You won't wander around every day. Am I saved? I think I lost my salvation. Not if you have intimate fellowship with Him. I know Him. He's my best friend. I'm not worried about losing my salvation. Because He'll never leave me nor forsake me. He promises me that, and I know that because I've experienced it. Amen? Guys, we struggle with it if we don't spend time in His presence. Lord, help us to make you the priority. Maybe spend more time in your word than we do eating food. That's what the Bible says. Desire the word of God more than our necessary food. Imagine how much thinner and how much more faith we'd have if that were true. Amen? We wouldn't need a diet at all. We'd be having Bible studies instead of potlucks. Stay for the agape feast after, right? But then he says, do not be sluggish, but intimate, but intimate, excuse me, imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. Guys, we're to imitate those who walk in faithfulness, both past examples and those around us now. We can imitate and look at people like the Apostle Paul, like David, like Daniel. And you know what? At the most, the one, of course, we look at the most by far is Jesus Christ. He's our example. But you know what? I believe God brings people around us today who are examples for us. Don't have to give in to temptation. Don't have to give in to discouragement. We can persevere because we look at those around us who are walking by faith and we see them do it. And we say, you know what, Lord? Give me faith like that person. Give me a passion for you like that person has. You know what? Again, I believe it only takes one person in an office building to light a fire in that place. One person in a neighborhood, one person in a school, one person in a classroom who has a passion for God and it can be, you know, infectious throughout the entire place. Because when people see the boldness you have, God will use it to stir up that same passion within, within them. Amen? Don't you notice how you can come to church sometimes and be totally having a really rough time and walk out excited about the things of God? You know why? Because you spent time in God's presence. Amen? You turned off the TV and the cell phone and everything else that was distracting you and you hung out with the Lord. 
And it's amazing how God will take those things and turn our, our perspective right side up again. Love, hope, and faith. These are marks of spiritual maturity. And so too is perseverance in the midst of persecution and temptation. Don't be drawn away. Don't become lazy. Don't become sluggish because things are tough. Don't go back to the old lifestyle. Instead, press into the kingdom of God. That's the exhortation that the writer to the Hebrews is giving them. Don't go back to Judaism. Press into Jesus. Persevere when things are tough. Last point. Verses 13 through 20. Marks of spiritual maturity, laying hold of the hope and promises we have in Jesus. He's our great high priest, and through him we have access to the Holy of Holies. Look at verse 13. It says, For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. Now, when God made a promise to Abraham, here we have the prime example of faith worth imitating. Imagine if God showed up to you at 75 and told you and your barren wife you were going to have children. Not only are you going to have children, but your children are going to number as the sand on the seashore and the stars in the sky. And oh, by the way, through you and your line, the Messiah is going to come. That's a heavy-duty promise. Amen? And guess what? 25 years later, it still hadn't happened yet. 75 was rough, 100's really tough. Dude, I'm 100. Have you looked at my wife? We're old. But God's promise comes in God's time. Amen? We don't rush it, we don't strive, because when we do, we make mistakes, and that's what Abraham did. What did he do? He got antsy, and his wife said, Well, go and sleep with my maidservant Hagar. Go sleep with a young girl down in the tent down. Okay, Abraham says. And we have Ishmael being born. Look at the Middle East today. All those problems, Ishmael's descendants and Isaac's. Right? Thanks a lot, Abraham. Should have waited for God. Amen? But instead, he got outside of God's will, tried to do things his own way. But I want you to notice this. That this shows that God is a God of grace because when you go to the hall of faith, Abraham is listed. He's Father Abraham. His faith is spoken of throughout Scripture. Because even though he made a mistake, God still calls him a man of great faith because he trusted that God would fulfill his promise ultimately. God's promise to Abraham was to bless him and to multiply his family. And the challenge to those promises were physical things that seemed out of control. But guess what? God is faithful to his word. And it says there, he could swear by no one greater, and he swore by himself. You know what? He gave an oath to Abraham, and usually when you gave an oath, you gave an oath in the name of somebody that would hold you accountable, someone greater than you. Well, when God gave an oath, there is no one greater than him. So he has to give the oath in his own name. You know, I swear by the name of Abraham. I swear by the name of, I swear by my name. In my name, why? Because he's God. And no one is greater. He swore by himself. Verse 14. Saying, surely blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply you. The word surely there speaks of complete certainty of his blessing. God's promise to Abraham was sealed with an oath of certainty. Hang on to that thought as we finish up the chapter. Verse 15. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. 
Now, if you underline stuff in your Bible, after he had patiently endured. We don't like that. I like the promise part. I don't like the after he patiently endured part. Lord, promise and then give me. Right? Isn't that how we are? Lord, I want a wife. I want a husband. I want children. I want a house. I want a job right now. And we start pushing God and we start telling God how the time should be. But notice this is after he patiently endured. He waited upon God for his perfect timing. Isaac wasn't born until 25 years after the promise. And when he became impatient, we got Ishmael. That's what happens when we get impatient. We bring corruption instead of blessing. When we respond by faith, we trust God's promises. He always comes through. His timing, His way, it's always best. God gave Abraham a promise. Abraham walked by faith that God would keep the promise. And God did indeed fulfill the promise. Guys, as we persevere, the enemy will try to get us to compromise. He will tempt us to go another way. But God wants us to keep our eyes on Him and not to turn to the right or to the left, no matter how great the temptation. Guys, that's why we need fellowship. That's why we need accountability. That's why we need time in the Word. That's why we need to walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Because if we walk in the Spirit, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Amen? But if we are not walking in the Spirit, we will fulfill the lust of the flesh every time. Lord, help us to patiently endure. Verse 17. Now, or verse 16, excuse me. For indeed, for men indeed swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is for them an end of all disputes. They swear an oath, and that ends an argument. They would be battling back and forth, and someone would say, I swear by the name of, and the argument would stop. Because it meant the man would then have to fulfill what he said. You know what? God has sworn a greater oath to us than this. He says salvation is through His Son. Believe on the name of Jesus Christ and you will be saved. He's promised us that, hasn't He? He was faithful to the promise of Abraham that He would have a son. He will be faithful to His promise that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Amen? He will be faithful to the promise that He has poured out upon us that we can trust in His Word and believe what He says. Guys, the reason we struggle and question our salvation is we lack the faith to believe what God has already told us. Why are you still disputing and being tempted to go back to the old religion? Salvation is in Jesus Christ. Where else are you going to go? Verse 17 and 18. Thus God determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of the promise the immutability of His counsel confirmed by an oath that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. Guys, His purpose is fixed and it's unchanging. God's plan will never change. God says it, we can trust it both now and forever. Amen? Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad God's plan doesn't change? If it changed, it would mean that God made a mistake or He didn't know what He was doing. People say that we need to pray to change God's mind. No, we don't, want to, we don't pray to change God's mind. We pray to change our hearts. Amen? When we pray, we want to conform our will to His, not His to ours. Amen? I'm so glad He never knuckles under like some parents might and give their kids what they want. God will only give us what is best. We may go outside of His will and do it our own way, but God is faithful to give us what is best. It was confirmed by an oath. God 
promised. It's impossible for God to lie. And look what it says. It says in verse 18, might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge. You know what? When we were in Numbers 35, real quickly, there's a refuge where when somebody committed a crime, there were cities that were planted out the prom- throughout the promised land. If somebody committed a crime by accident, there was a person who was in the family, the family Goel or the Redeemer, who would go out and slaughter the person. If you accidentally killed somebody, then someone in their family's duty was to go out and kill you. And they didn't have trials. It's not how it worked. But they did have these cities of refuge where the person could run, and once they got there, they were safe. Now, they would remain in that city until the high priest died. And once the high priest died, they were then free to leave the city and the crime was no longer over their heads. What in the world is this a picture of? It was only when the high priest died that the crime was no longer held over their heads. Guys, we run to our refuge and our refuge is Jesus Christ. And when we run to him, it was important that the cities were throughout the land of promise so they were always nearby. Jesus is not far away. He is near to you. He desires to have intimate fellowship with you. He's not hiding from you. So the city is of refuge worth an easy reach. The city of refuge was open to all, not just the Israelite. So too, salvation is open to every man, woman, and child. Both Jesus and the cities of refuge became a place where one, one in need would live. You didn't come to the city of refuge just to get to look around. You moved in. You lived there. Guys, when you become a Christian, you're grafted into a relationship with Christ for the rest of your life. Amen? He's the refuge. We're grafted into Him. Both Jesus and the city of refuge were the only alternative for the one in need. If they didn't turn there, they would be destroyed. Jesus is the only alternative for those of us in need. If we do not turn to him, we will be destroyed. Amen? It says in that verse, the refuge. That's who Jesus is. He's our refuge. And notice he only provides protection within the boundaries of of the city. And so too, we only have that protection as long as we're in Him, as we are grafted into Him. Outside of Him, we're on our own. And lastly, the big difference between Jesus and the cities of refuge is this they could only come to the city of refuge if they were innocent of the crime. It was done on accident. We come to Jesus and we're all guilty of the crime. And He forgives us anyway. Amen? That's the hope we have, guys. We come to Him in our sin. Our hope, our security is in Jesus, our refuge. Not religion, not rituals, not good works. God gave Abraham an oath. It was an unchangeable promise. God's promise to us is He sent His Son. He's the only path of salvation. He's near to you. He desires to have intimate fellowship with you. And no matter how guilty you are, He will allow you to enter in to fellowship with Him. Our response is simply to lay hold of the hope that is set before us, to run to Jesus, to make Him our refuge. Last two verses. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil, where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Guys, Salvation is the anchor to the soul. When you're saved, it anchors us in Him. It brings the peace that we never could find anywhere else. The joy that we would never experience no matter what else life tried to give us. 
It's not works-based salvation that can, we can ever be sure, but it's when we're anchored to the Savior. If you're anchored to your good works, your works will always fail. If you're anchored to Jesus, you will survive any storm. Then it says that Jesus is our great high priest. The Old Testament high priest could only go into the Holy of Holies one time, once a year, and usually only got to do it one time in his lifetime. And when he would go in, he would sprinkle the blood and he had to leave as soon as he made the sacrifice. And there was a veil that didn't allow him to enter in except that one day of the year. When Jesus died on the cross, the veil was torn. He's seated at the right hand of the Father, and we can enter into that most holy place anywhere and anytime. He is indeed the great high priest. Amen? Amen. And we can enter into the presence of the Father by simply coming to the Son. Why do we pray in Jesus' name? Because we're praying according to the will of the Son. We're seeking the Father through the Son. And so we pray in the name of the Son. The writer of Hebrews is saying what you have in Jesus is so much greater. You want to go back to the Old Testament way? You want to go back to that sacrificial system and have one day a year when they can come into the presence of God? And you know what? That's not even true anymore because the veil's been torn. Or you can have intimate fellowship with Him 365 days a year, 24 hours a day. Which do you want? He's pointing them to the greater truth that we have in Jesus. He's saying don't be drawn away to that which is empty, something that cannot compare to Jesus, but lay hold of the hope and promise that you have in Him. So, in closing, marks of spiritual maturity. Number one, a life that bears fruit. By your fruit they shall know us. Number two, perseverance in the midst of persecution and temptation. Number three, laying hold of the hope and promises that we have in Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to live lives that bear fruit, to persevere no matter what's going on around us, to run to the Lord and not from Him, and to lay hold of the hope that we have in Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You and we praise You for Your Word. And we thank You, Lord, that indeed You love us so much You'd rather die than live without us, that we've been forgiven. And Lord, I just ask now that You just minister to the hearts of everyone who's here. Draw us into deeper fellowship with You than we've ever been before. Help us, Lord, to not be ashamed of you, to run to you in times of trials, not from you. And Lord, I just pray you'd help us this week with the divine appointments you bring into our life to speak with great boldness, Lord, not because of who we are, but because you're dwelling in us. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.